Hi, I'm Arlene McIntyre, Creative Director at Ventura Design, and you're listening to Shut the Front Door, a lighthearted podcast that will bring you through the front door and into the homes of influential and interesting people. Home for me is one of the most important things in my life. My career has fortunately given me the opportunity to work closely with people and to help them create a home they will cherish forever. Today on Shut the Front Door, we have the honor of being joined by the formidable Vicki Whelan. Women's health advocate and mother to Amelia and Dara, Vicki found herself thrust into the public spotlight as the result of a cervical check crisis in 2018. Her voice since this date has helped save and educate many across Ireland, given strength to those who felt they had no fight left in them and broken the boundaries of patient advocacy in Ireland. Author of the powerful autobiography, Overcoming, Vicky describes herself as being definitely a Scorpio. It's with great pleasure that I now introduce Vicky Phelan to Shut the Front Door. Thank you for joining us, Vicky. Thanks very much, Arlene. I'm a Capricorn, so what does that mean? You're definitely a Scorpio and I'm I think I'm definitely a Capricorn. Um, well, I suppose Scorpios have a sting in their tail. Um, they, you know, you don't cross somebody who's a Scorpio. And I think I suppose I'd be, I definitely would kind of think that I, I'd be along those lines. I don't mm-hmm. forgive very easily. Um, but I'm also very loyal. One thing about Scorpions is that they're you know, loyal to a fault with their friends. And uh, yeah, I would definitely be like that. You know, um, I, I don't make friends very easily, but when I do, you know, I'm a friend for life, I suppose. So I'm, I'm definitely a true scorpion. A true scorpion. And I do. I have a few scorpion friends, actually. Yeah, they are very loyal and they're women of their words, actually. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. that- that's all good. The whole uh, podcast today, Vicky, is just to chat to you about your home and your childhood memories of your home and, and where you are now with your home. So maybe we can start with your childhood memories of your home. Tell me about where you grew up and what memories you have. So um, I'm the oldest of five kids and my parents got married very young. They were only uh, 19 and 18 when they got married. So they were very young um, Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have had an awful lot of money. So we lived actually for the first five years of my life, we lived in a very damp cottage um, down the road from where my father grew up near the river. And um, one of the stories in my book actually is about when I was about three, myself and the dog, we had a dog called Bruce, uh, took a little wander down to the river. So we were about maybe half a mile from the river. And I would have gone down there every day with my dad because my dad and all of his family were fishermen. So they were always down at the river. So, of course, I toddled off my own one day down to the river with the dog and couldn't be found anywhere. So, um, you know, I kind of wandered off at a very early age. But I loved the freedom, I think, of, you know, living in the country and, and, and by the by water, I suppose. You know, that was kind of when I realized, I suppose, that I, I loved water. I've always been drawn to it. But when I was five, then we moved because um, I think at that stage there were three of us. Yeah, so the, and the house wasn't big. It was only, you know, a small cottage with two bedrooms. So mum and dad got a council house in Moncoyne, which is the village where she was from, about three miles away from where we had been living. So we moved into the council house when I was five and I, I had to move schools. Um, so I moved into the school in the village at that stage, which was a girls school, uh, you know, primary school in, uh, with the nuns in, in, in a convent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where mum and dad are still living now, you know, 45 years later. Um but it was just a you know, regular kind of three bedroom council house. Um, but by the time there were five of us, then it was quite tight. And my father's mm-hmm. a carpenter. So because, you know, before my sister came along, she's the youngest of three brothers. And then my sister is the youngest. There's 11 years between me and her. Um, <clears throat> my dad um, kind of 
adapted the room for the boys because they only had three bedrooms. So I had my own bedroom. I had this small, tiny box room. You know yourself, uh, you know, box mm-hmm. rooms are the smallest things. But he was so good with his hands, um, my dad, that he kind of built my, a bed for me over the, do you know the box rooms? They have a, like a little box over the stairs. Yes. You know, that kind of has the, the slope for the stairs coming up. Mm-hmm. That's kind of useless. So my dad built my bed on top of that and put storage underneath it. And then, um, mm. you know, so he just kind of used the space, I suppose, to make give me a little yeah. bit more. So, you know, it was very, good, very innovative and kind of very good like that. And then the three boys were sharing, a, you know, a, a small enough double room. And again, he built, you know, two uh, bunk beds on the top and one on the bottom and kind of storage kind of underneath the, the, the single bunk on the top for them to make it a bit more um, kind of, you know, interesting for them I suppose to have a bit of storage for three boys but yeah it was a busy busy house now I can tell you that much growing up and that that is always nice to have loads of brothers and sisters I'm sure that that's you know you have only but good memories from all of that yeah um well I, I do and I don't I suppose I, I do in that um it was one thing uh, the house was always so busy and um I suppose because I was the oldest and my mother was working but from the age of you know ten or eleven, I would have had to come home from school. Mum would have had everything kind of all the spuds peeled and vegetables ready to go on. But I'd have to put the dinner on. Um, so there was a lot of responsibility kind of from a young age. And I remember thinking kind of when I, you know by the time I was old enough, you know there is no way I'm having five kids. <laughs> you know, I kind of yeah yeah I decided at a very young age like I'm having two. If I have children, two. That's it. Definitely not this mm-hmm. five five madness. So it was great. Um, and now I suppose as I'm older, you know, as you grow up and, um, you know, have mm-hmm. your own kids, it is lovely to have siblings, you know, um, because I see that my, you know, I only have two kids myself. And um, at the moment, you know, they're at an age where they don't really get on with each other. She's 14, he's nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as you get older, you appreciate your siblings a lot more and you kind of develop a better relationship. Um, that's and true. that's definitely happened with me, I suppose, and my siblings, since we've all had children, we've kind of, you know, become much um, more uh tolerant of each other I suppose and just have uh, developed better friendships but I suppose as when I was growing up you know before my sister came along because I had three brothers I was a real tomboy so I was playing with all the boys you know what I mean it was always you know out playing soccer or we'd go off um I remember you know we'd go off in the morning if the weather was good and we were on our holidays or on the weekends and we'd go off over the fields and we'd bring off you know t- tools belonged to my dad and he'd kill us we'd have hammers and stuff gone and we'd be building our own tree house over the fields and my mother wouldn't see us for literally about five or six hours until we came home when we were hungry so it was a lovely childhood you know from that point of view that there was a great freedom in it yeah and do your family live all nearby are you all living in Limerick together at the moment in the area of Limerick no I live in I'm the only one that lives um away from home so I'm I'm in Limerick and all my family are down in County Kilkenny and Waterford yeah yeah so it's about two hours I see. And you see them still uh, like at Christmas time or would you see them regularly or? Yeah, yeah. So we always go down at Christmas after, you know, we have our Christmas here and the kids open their presents. So we'd stay mm. for maybe two or three days here at home. And then we'd always go down home to, to, to Kilkenny to visit the families. And it must be really difficult for you as it is for so many with all the restrictions that we have on the road at the moment. And it's just, it's a difficult time, especially with Mother's Day having been recently oh it's been so difficult early and that's uh, to be honest that's the hardest part that um mm. I, I have found about this lockdown is not seeing my parents um mm. because I actually I haven't seen my mother since the 6th of February I can actually pinpoint it to a date she actually really? came up here to Limerick yeah she came up um and it was just kind of a, a spontaneous kind of arrangement I saw this deal for a spa treatment and I rang mom on a Sunday and I said she'll come up tomorrow on the bus 
I said, and we'll go and do a spa treatments and have lunch. And uh, she did. And thank God she did, because I hadn't seen yeah. her since, you know, it was probably the, around the end of January when we came back from New Zealand. We had gone to New Zealand for Christmas. And because we'd been in New Zealand for Christmas, we hadn't seen our parents and our families much. Um, and when we came back, like the kids had already missed maybe a week of school. So we hadn't spent that much time down uh, in Kilkenny, you know, when we came back from New Zealand. So I haven't seen a huge amount of my parents really since yeah. before Christmas. And it's been hard. It's been really hard. I, I, I know. I can't imagine. And and how are you doing with the homeschooling, Vicky? Um, not too bad. I mean, my daughter is very like me. She's in second year now in secondary school. And she's she's a bit of a, a nerd, I suppose, like my, me. I love school. Um, so she's getting on with it I don't really check her in on her too much because you know mm-hmm. she's quite kind of conscientious my son is another story he's nine and um, <laughs> a typical boy you know there's some days he'll do it no problem and then there's other days where he's literally throwing pencils across the floor so you know oh, it depends on what, what version I get on the day you know that where he and in oh. fairness I understand it it's very frustrating um because he loved um not that he loves school he misses all his friends, you know, and he loved his teacher. He, he It was the first time he'd had a male teacher since he started school and he absolutely adores him. So he really misses having that as well, you know. So it's been hard. It's been hard for him. Um, and he doesn't have great, like typical boy, doesn't have great concentration span. So I kind of have to do it in spurts. Um, but look, we're getting there, you know. Yeah, we're getting there. And how do you find your, your coping as well? Like, how are you connecting with your network and your friends is it mainly by phone? Or are you using Zoom and FaceTime? Um, it's a bit of both. It depends on what friends I'm talking to. Some of my friends yeah. are less techie than others. Um, I like my best friend, uh, one of my best friends, there's two, three of us kind of, we've, we've been best friends for like since we were five. And uh, we set up, we tried to set up a video kind of calling arrangement where we'd uh, have a drink together at home. I'm sure lots of people are doing it. Um, But like trying to get her set up to get working was hilarious. So we eventually agreed that we'd use WhatsApp because there was only three of us. Um, Because I think once you go over four or five people, you have to use House Party or Zoom Mm -hmm. or some of those apps. And that was definitely beyond her. We knew that much. So we said we'd try WhatsApp. And actually her nine-year-old daughter got it working for her. which I thought was hilarious you know yeah isn't it just goes to show our kids are far more clued in than we are oh yeah definitely if I'm stuck with my phone I just hand it to some younger person I just can't deal with it I'm like oh my god what's happened my phone I know they have it sorted out in a second yeah yeah because my daughter I was doing um was I doing a Skype interview I was doing some interview for some um show uh, a couple of weeks back and I uh they asked me oh yeah they needed me to use FaceTime that was it and I don't use Apple products I just uh, you know I use uh Android products I have a Samsung mm-hmm. phone and I use the laptops but my daughter has um an Apple phone and she has a uh what do you call that an iPad so I asked her could I borrow her iPad sure I couldn't use it so she had to set it up for me she was hal- laughing you know thinking this was hilarious so, yeah, our children are definitely more clued in. They definitely are. There are little teachers, actually, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. And can you remember what your uh, teenage room looked like? I know it, it sounded like it was a box room but, and you were in a very busy household. But but how did you find it was like for you to create your own space? I think it's very important as teenagers, isn't it? I mean, even I remember that, you know, you have to kind of make your own um, stamp on your room, you know, from a young mm-hmm. age, don't you, to make it yours. And yeah. I remember at the time, and this is go- I'm going to be really, you know, mortified saying this, but my favourite band at 13, 14 was Bross. I don't know if you remember Bross. <laughs> I do, of course, <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. 
So I remember showing my daughter a video of them singing and she was cringing. She said, oh, my God, ma'am, I can't believe you like that band. And I said, I know, but I was only 13, you know. Yeah, you, 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 don't, you know, you can't choose who you like. And I loved brass. And I mean, I was obsessed with brass. I really was. Really? Um, oh, my God. I'm so obsessed with them that my father, I mean, it was great that I was able to use the skills of my parents because my mother's a really good, um, she, she knits, but she also sews. She would have made wedding dresses and um uh, yeah. curtains yeah she's really good upholstering she can put her hand to anything really so I remember there was a logo for brass I don't know if you remember there was you know one one of them stand, stood in the middle with the two guys standing on either side of them and it was like a stick inside kind of a, 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 a logo <laughs> but my father actually got the logo I printed it off for him and he drew it out on a template and he made a table for me a desk with the brass logo on it he stained the logo a different kind of a darker timber and then he put uh you know the rest of the table like a lighter shade of um you know it was oak or something so i had yeah. a bra- i had a brass table and then my mother knit me a jumper <laughs> with the brass logo on the back like that's how dedicated i was <laughs> <laughs> that is you were a true fan Vicky. i was a true fan and i had the grolsch bottle tops and the the torn Excellent. jeans and the, oh, the whole lot and then obviously my whole room was papered with posters of brass from just 17 and Smash Hits magazines. It. Yep. So I had Smash posters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember that? I, I do. Yeah. I yeah. do. I remember that. And it was also Top of the Pops and Smash yeah. Hits. They were like, it. They, they were like the things to read and watch when I first moved here from America. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get get on this train. Everybody else was on the on on that with those books and magazines. And it was hilarious. I think other bands I remember were. Bananarama was really huge at the time. Yeah, they were. They were quite big. Aha, do you remember Aha? They were oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. And I remember, um, I mean, I would try to explain this to my daughter and it was even difficult to try and explain the concept of cassette tapes. Do you remember? I mean, I said to her, you know, unless, you know, my mother, my father wouldn't have had enough money for me to go out buying, uh, you know, tapes of bands so you used to have to record them when you heard them on the radio so you'd have the cassette in the tape recorder yeah. ready to go and the minute you'd hear the song you'd start the record button so you'd have all these <laughs> mixtapes you know so you know when you think back I know it's so great I still have a box of tapes somewhere I came across them I don't know what I'm going to do with them but I'd love to kind of just transfer everything that I have on them into something and I know it would be lovely to keep them yeah yeah oh definitely yeah I'm going to find a way and that's the sort of thing I've been doing, actually, in the last week of the lockdown. You know, I've been pottering and digging and opening up the presses and just oh, doing all the things that I've had on the to-do list Yeah, I've been doing. How about you? How yeah. have you been finding it? Yeah, me too. I'll tell you what I've been trying to do that I've been putting off forever, I think, like everybody. Um, and it's not that it's something you hate doing, but it's just, you know, it's going to take you a while to sit down and sort through them. It's to sort through photos. And for me, I suppose it's very important because... Um, you know, I have loads of photos, but they're all either on my phone or they're on the camera and I have to upload them onto the laptop. So I'm starting to sort through them to put them into folders of folders, you know, uh, ones that I want to print off and get framed, ones that I just want to maybe make an album out of, you know. So it's, it's, it's something that it's and it's nice to go through it, but you never have the time to do these things. And for me, I suppose I want to get this project done. And, you know, as soon as the shops are open, I'm literally going to go in and get the ones printed off that I want framed because, you know, I don't know, I suppose, in my situation, how long I've got left. And, you know, it would be terrible if I didn't get to a point where I could print these off and hang them up and look at them you know because yeah. there's something about actually having them framed and on your wall rather than just going through them on your phone or your camera 
I totally yeah. agree. So that's what I'm doing, you know, and it's a nice thing to do. So tell me a little bit, Vicky, about your morning ritual. How do you start your day? Uh, during lockdown or just in general? General. General. Um, so if it's a, a weekday morning that the kids are in school, you know, my, my son starts school quite early. They start at half past eight. So it's an early start. Uh, we usually get up around seven and, um, you know, get his breakfast, get his lunch and, uh, you know, he gets himself dressed and then get him out the door. So I drop him to school and then come back. And usually I'm back home by, by half past eight, which is a nice kind of t- time to start your day. So I usually sit down then and have my own breakfast properly, have a nice cup of coffee at that stage. And I check um, mm. Twitter. So I would start kind of checking Twitter, check the news, see what's going on. If there's anything I need to kind of, you know, make a comment about or if there's anything that yeah. I think I need to uh, talk to, say, Stephen Teep, you know, since I started this whole um, cervical check um, campaigning. You know, Stephen Teep has been one of the, my, you know, my kind of allies, I suppose. You know, he lost his wife as a result of cervical cancer. So if there's anything in the news that I think that we need to kind of weigh in on, I'd always ring him first and we'll have a chat. Yes. And, you know, so that's kind of usually what I start my day in is checking the news really to see what's going on um, and kind of responding to tweets and messages. Um, and then if I have things that I have to do, you know, some days I have to go to Dublin, um, whether it's for treatment or for um, interviews or meetings. Um, and if I'm staying at home, I kind of really don't bother getting dressed until I have to because, you know, more often than not, if I'm going out, I have to get, you know, get dressed, put on the makeup, do all of that. So if I'm at home, I don't bother. I just kind of slob around the house, really, to be honest, because I can, you know, and it's nice to be able to do it, I think. And how do you feel the health system or health system at the moment is handling the situation? It's just so difficult for them. Um, but in particular with, with people that are, you know, struggling with cancer at the moment, how do you think it's all being handled? I think from the point of view of dealing with patients like me who still have to have treatment in the middle of mm-hmm. a, you know, a pandemic, I think they're doing very well. I was actually up in Dublin yesterday for treatment. Um, so I only have to go for treatment every six weeks, which is great now. Um, mm-hmm. I've been moved over to kind of a longer period, um, which happened literally just before we went to New Zealand. So it actually came at a perfect time with the pandemic because you know, normally I'd be up every three weeks. So, you know, the fact that I don't have to go up again now for another six weeks is great. And, it, you know, it's a relief to me that I don't have to kind of go into a hospital because unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, hospitals are hotbeds of um, of the of the virus because there are so many people, you know, healthcare workers going in and out. And, um, you know, we know that 25 percent of them, you know, at the moment in Ireland have the virus. So it is a worry for patients going into hospitals. But I have to say, you know, after going up there yesterday, I cannot fault uh, the, the, the preparations that they've put in place mm-hmm. to kind of put patients at ease. Uh, so, you know, they were literally only checking in one patient at a time. So, uh, you know, you were never in the same room as another patient um, at any time when I was up That's there. So, yeah, it was really good. And mm-hmm. then everybody was in, you know, some, some were in full PPE gear. Some just had the masks on and gloves, obviously. Um, but, you know, while the nurses were talking to me, say, at check-in, they were keeping their distance, so they weren't coming over to me. Um, when I went up onto the ward where I have my treatment um, and, you know, met the norm, the usual nurses that I deal with when I'm up for treatment, um, you know, I was in an individual bay, so all the patients um, in St. Vincent's Hospital, where I go for treatment, have moved into the private hospital because 
in the private hospital, they have individual uh, bays for each patient. So you're not sitting beside somebody, whereas in the public hospital where I normally go for treatment, it's kind of like a big long line of, you know, I don't mm. know, is it 10 or 12 beds and they're quite close, not that close together, but closer than two metres. So mm. that's why they've moved to the private hospital so, so that there's that distance between people, which is great. So, you know, I definitely felt very reassured yesterday that my health and my well-being was looked after and that of the healthcare workers as well you know obviously um because i was very conscious of that as well that these people are you know uh, uh, very prone to picking this virus up so i was trying to make sure that i was doing my bit as well to protect them yeah and vicky i i just have to say and i've followed you and i have been following you for some time i just think you're so incredibly strong um have you always been this strong where do you think the strength comes from yeah, I suppose I have really. I've I've always been very um, uh, how would you put it? I suppose I'm very like my mother. You know, my, that kind of I don't. I'm trying to think of the word is it stoic. That kind of person. That kind mm-hmm. of you know. And my sister often says it. You know, when when something happens, me and mom will kind of, you know, not react straight away we're kind of absorbing it whereas my sister's the real drama queen she'll be bawling and you know we're, t- we're like worlds apart totally different in the way we deal with things whereas I'm kind of sitting there and I'm but I'm mulling. it's not that I don't react I'm doing it in my head before I react with my face or with my you know emotions mm-hmm. and that's kind of always the way I've dealt with stuff I suppose and look you know a lot of it goes back to the fact that you know from a fairly young age you know you know, shit started happening to me. You know, I was 18 when I had my car crash in France. And that was really, I suppose, a, a pivotal moment in my life that really made me um, see that life is not easy, you know, that life is quite difficult. And, um, you know, I had to grow up very fast, really, at that stage when that happened. And that was, you know, very hard. Um, and I suffered terribly, you know, for about two years after that accident. Can you tell, can you just tell me a little bit about that? So in case any of our listeners wasn't aware of that, just maybe yeah. share some more of that with us. So I was on my work placement. I was in college in at the University in Limerick. And um, as part of the program that I was studying on, I was doing a two language degree program. We had to live in France and Spain um, to, in order to improve our language. So, you know, I was on a work placement in France and uh, I was actually nearly finished. I only had about three weeks left to go, I think, at this stage. Um, and we were out for a night out celebrating one of the other um, French students, actually, who was just finishing up on her placement. And we went to a nightclub and on the way home about three or four o'clock in the morning on these really small back roads in the middle of nowhere in France, you know, we crashed into another car. So the car that crashed into us, um, there was five of us in our car, me, uh, my boyfriend at the time, Christophe, who was driving. And then there was three in the back, Katie, uh, Christ- another Christophe, another French guy, and Lisa, uh, an Irish student who was also a student in UL at the time. And the guy who crashed into us fell asleep at the wheel and you know, they did reports afterwards, obviously, on his you know, an autopsy. And he, he wasn't drinking. He actually was he just fell asleep. He was on medication that made him tired. So he shouldn't have been driving, obviously. But look, he paid the ultimate price. He died as well. So, you know, in our car, then um, Christophe, um, who was driving, died you know, immediately. Um, he uh, his neck snapped literally because there was no headrests in the car and so all of these things you see the importance in cars of wearing seatbelts headrests you can see why they're so important because we had no headrests so he died immediately because his head snapped uh, I was wearing a seatbelt and even though it broke practically every bone in my body it saved my life so you know you can see you know so I'd be a, a very strong advocate kind of for you know I suppose car safety um, but you know I broke 
you know, 70% of the bones in my body. I spent nearly four months in hospital, um, almost didn't make it. My poor parents got a phone call in the middle of the night to say that I was um, in surgery and they didn't know whether I'd make it or not. And they had to try and make their way over to France. And my parents at the time had never left the country ever. They'd never been outside of Ireland and they had to travel to France. They had no passports. They had to get emergency passports in the middle of the night and, and uh, pick them up. Uh, I think two guards dropped them out to the airport when they arrived um, and not knowing whether I was going to be alive or dead when they got here. Um, but, you know, I, I survived, obviously. But it was a long recovery. You know, I was on crutches for about 12 months. And um, like, it, but apart from the physical recovery, it was the mental, you know, an emotional recovery that was much more difficult than anything else you know I suppose because I was so young and it really kind of you know at 18 19 you know like anybody in college you know what what do you what are your worries you know having enough money for going I know. for a yeah. few drinks and eating spaghetti bolognese and studying for your exams and suddenly yeah you know my whole world was turned upside down and you know two people I really you know uh loved you know died and I and I had no opportunity to go to a funeral because I was in hospital so it was very hard to get my head around it you know so it was, it was a long it was a long recovery but it definitely I think shaped the person I've become because I learned from an early age that bad things can happen to good people um, and and often there's yeah. no there's no explanation and you have to learn to cope with that in whatever way you can you know absolutely so in a sense that experience gave you the tools yeah, in a sense, to really deal with all the incredibly hard life lessons that you've had to date. Yes. Would did. that be fair to say? It would, yeah, it would. Um, I suppose one of the things, I mean, I was so young back then, that was back in the early 90s. I mean, I, I had no counselling at the time or no you know, psychological support because it wasn't really, the, it's not that it wasn't the done thing. Nobody suggested it. And I certainly didn't know that I needed it because I was, you know, 19. And, you know, often I, we've had this conversation myself and my mother. My mother feels terribly guilty that she didn't, kind of you know think of you know suggesting it or ask you know organizing something and I said sure ma'am nobody did it back then you know uh, she often beats herself up about it because it kind of came back to bite me about 10 years later really you know when I hadn't had any kind of counseling for it when I was pregnant with my daughter and my pregnancy kind of started uh, becoming very complicated um, and that, uh, you know, posed further problems and I really couldn't deal with it. And I remember going for counselling at that point after I had Amelia when I was suffering from postnatal depression. And um, I remember the counsellor saying to me, you know, kept asking about my accident and kept going back to it. And I remember I kind of lost the cool with her one day and I said, why are you asking me about this accident? It has nothing to do with what's happening now. You know, and she said, oh, it has everything to do with what's happening now because you never dealt with it. You know, and it's funny, it was the first time I kind of went, oh, okay. You know, so a lot yeah. of stuff, you, you bury it, you know, and if you do bury mm-hmm. it, you know, it's going to come back at some stage. So, you know, I had to, to kind of try and resurface it and, and deal with it at that stage. Um, so, yeah, you know, I suppose these things happen and it's it's how you deal with them. And that's one thing that I've learned, I suppose, with everything that's happened. You know, it's how you deal with these things at the time that kind of dictates how you're going to react and how you're going to be you know if you bury it it's just going to be worse you know because it will come back to bite you and it usually is far worse yeah if you don't deal yeah with it. yeah and you of course you just have to deal with it in your own time you can't force somebody to you know deal with it you know if you sound like you like to take things as they come and digest things as they come and and in your own way and in your own time you know you'll you'll get around to dealing with everything yeah, I, I'm a very, you know, I drive my parents and my sister crazy because I'm a very, 
I'm a very, even though, you know, I'm going to laugh when I say this now because here I am talking about it publicly, but I am actually a very private person when something happens to me. I have to process it myself first before I talk to somebody about it. And I've always been like that. You know, um, I mean, I remember the time when my cancer came back, actually, the second time, and I knew it wasn't good and I knew, you know, I didn't have much time. And I kept that to myself for two months until after Christmas because I didn't want to ruin anybody's Christmas. But also because I needed the time, I needed that time to get my head around it myself. You know, yeah. before I started telling people, because I find, I suppose, when you tell somebody something bad, immediately you can see their face and their reaction. And, you know, most people will start crying, especially with the yes. time I'm giving them. Um, and that does, doesn't help me, you know, so I need to be ready for that when it comes. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of have to process it myself before I deal with other people's emotions, you know. Then then you're kind of putting out their fires. So you just yeah. have to get in control of it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Get on top of the of, of the narrative, if you like, of what's happening, and then you're ready to share it with someone else. Exactly. Yeah. My goodness, I do. I, th- I I admire you so much, Vicky, and I like that. I just think you're so incredibly strong, and to be admired, you're absolutely incredible. Um, which brings me to your book, Overcoming. How did you find writing that book? I actually found the book very cathartic for me um and that's not why i wrote it i mean i wrote it initially you know the, my main focus um in writing that book was for my two kids because at the time when we started writing the book i didn't know whether the drug would work and i didn't know whether i'd still be here to be honest by the time the book came out so i really wrote the book for my two kids because i wanted them to know their mother um outside of me being mammy. Do you know what I mean? I wanted them to know that I was a teenager once and that, you know, stories about my childhood and stories about when I was growing up um, that I might, might might never get to tell them myself. So I suppose that, that was my main motivation in writing the book was to write it for my kids. And also so that they'd understand why, you know, at that stage, you know, I was up and down to Dublin quite a lot, attending meetings, going to, you know, public account committee meetings with government officials. You know, I was gone quite a lot. Um, you know, I could have been up in Dublin one or two days a week. And I often my, my son was always the one who would kind of call it and he'd say, Mom, why are you always gone? Why can't you just stay at home? <laughs> you know, so yeah. you know, that was one of the things I kind of wanted him to understand when he was old enough why I was doing all of this, you know, that it was mm-hmm. important. And the reason I was gone, you know, was, was to help other people and to try and make our health system better, you know. And, you know, you can't explain that to a nine year old. So I thought, well, at least if I have a book. You know, when he's old enough, he can read it and kind of go, oh, that's why mom did all of this stuff, you know. So that was my main motivation. But actually what I wasn't kind of reckoning on was how good it would be for me to do was actually the process of it. So I found it very hard, actually, at times kind of rereading stuff. So I remember when Naomi would send me uh, draft chapters um I'd read them and send them back to her with kind of comments or say, no, it didn't happen like that. Or, you know, so uh, I remember reading the the the, art, the chapter about my accident and I thought, oh, shit, this will be fine because, you know, I'm, I've dealt with it. It was 25 years ago. I've, you know, parked that part of my life and I'll be fine. But I actually remember reading, getting halfway through the chapter kind of, and I was literally back there. You know, it was so vivid. I was back there in my head and I had to stop reading because I got so upset. Um, mm. So it took me a while with some chapters to read them. To, to kind of read them, digest them and kind of go back to her and say, yeah, that's, you know, it, what happened or, you know, maybe change this. But I found it very hard to read some of them because it was so close to the bone and it was it, I was having to relive the experience in my own head again. Um, but actually, the more I had to do that and the more I had to go back over those chapters, the better it was for me. Because, um, you know, for example, 
Amelia's accident. Amelia got very badly burned in an accident at home when she was seven. And of all the things that have happened to me, that is the worst thing that has ever. And I mean, even now I can feel myself kind of tearing up, but I can talk about it now. I couldn't talk about her accident for years without getting really upset. So writing the book made it much easier for me to be able to deal with her accident and to be able to talk about it. Um, and, and that's good. That's good for me because, you know, I'm, I'm over it now and she's over it and she's doing really well, but it's something that's very difficult to go back to, you know, painful experiences in your life. But I definitely found writing about it definitely helped me to kind of move past it. I can't, I can't imagine. And the fact that, you know, you've, you've all, you seem to be very good at protecting yourself. And then when this happened to Amelia, that might've been your feeling of that you wanted to protect her. And that's probably where that emotion transferred perhaps over. Yeah, I, yeah, I am a control freak, Arlene, a total control freak. So, you know, whatever about, you know, stuff happening to me, um, you, know, you can control what's happening to you and how you react to it. But when it happens to, you know, particularly your child, my God, yeah. I couldn't protect her from it. I couldn't stop the pain. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I take it away from her. And I, I, that, I, that nearly killed me. It nearly broke me, to be honest, at the time when she oh was in hospital. It was, it was horrendous, you know, just watching her in pain and not being able to do anything. There's nothing worse mm-hmm. And how is she now? She's great. You know, she's great. Um, she had surgery at the time. She had skin graft surgery. And uh, we were go- kept having to go back for checkups, you know, every year. But, you know, she doesn't even have to go back for checkups now. All her skin grafts have taken. And as her body has grown, her body has adjusted. And, yes, she has quite significant scarring on her torso. And she might have to have, you know, more kind of reconstructive surgery when she's older. But she's, she's great. And, you know... I, I could never envisage at the time when I, I remember looking at her body thinking, oh, my God, how is she going to, you know, ever get in a swimsuit? How is she ever going to wear a strapless dress? You know, you, and as a mother, you're looking at all these things going, you just want your child to be normal and you just want your child to be happy and not to have attention drawn to them for the wrong reasons. So, you know, but at the same time, I had to let her go back out into the world Um I remember I, I had a conversation with her. She, we brought her for therapy, obviously, to see a, a play therapist. And it was the play therapist. And, you know, I'm glad she did call me out. And it, that was kind of saying to me, I know you think you're doing the right thing, Vicky, by protecting her. But she said, you can't, um, you know, she has to learn to get used to people looking at her scars and to be able to answer the questions that people are asking her. Because usually it was kids would just say, oh, why is your skin all red? Or, you know, why, why do you look like that? Do you know, in a swimsuit... And I was trying to kind of get her to wear swimming togs that would cover her, you know, like the little, um, uh, yeah. what do you call those little rash vests? That's it. Yes. I, I was trying, I thought I was doing the right like thing. Like little tube tops. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah. Um, whereas Amelia wanted to wear togs, you know, like any other normal kid. And, uh, <laughs> and the therapist said that to me. She said, you know, that says more about you than your daughter. She said, your mm. daughter wants to be the same as everybody else. Let her. And she said, you stand back and let her answer the questions if somebody asks her about why her skin is red or, you know, why she looks like that. And it used to kill me. I'd be I'd be breaking up inside. But I had to I had to do it for her. And I'm, I'm glad I did because, you know, she had to learn to, to deal with it herself. And is she like you in ways, do you think? Oh, my God. I know you said that she's an academic like yourself, but do you feel that in terms of her inner strength, do you think she's a tough little cookie like you? 100%. Um, she is literally... Um, of all the people I admire, uh, Amelia is my hero. She has, like, she's 14 years of age and she has gone through far more in her 14 years than I've done in 45, do you know? And she's dealt with it in such, like she gets up every morning, there's always a smile on her face, you know, she bounces back from all of these things and she's just, 
she's a great kid, you know, and she's got absolutely amazing strength. And um, she just wants to be the same as everybody else. And, you know, that's all anybody wants, isn't it? And That's yeah, so true. She's amazing. She's an amazing child. That's great. And tell me a little bit about your home now. Where is your favourite place in your home? Um, my favourite place in the house is probably the kitchen, I suppose. And oh God, that's going to sound typical woman, isn't it? But you know, I, <laughs> I, I love my kitchen, not because I love cooking by any means. It's actually just, it's a bright room. It's uh, mm-hmm. back of the house, so it's south facing. So all the sun comes in the, the, the kitchen in the morning and it's a really bright room. So it's kind of like, um, it's not painted white, but a kind of an off white. So like mm-hmm. when the sun comes in, it literally would dazzle you, you know? And then we've got um, blue, high glass kind of blue, um, uh, kitchen units and a kind of a it's called dicton but it's kind of like a marble uh, worktop that we've kind of used as a table as well so it's kind of a white with a kind of a goldy marbly thread going through it and it's just lovely and bright and we've got kind of like a burnt orange kind of fabric covered chairs so it's really you know nice bright colors and really kind of welcoming and kind of sunny you know it's real that kind of a room that you kind of really want to kind of wake up in and do stuff in so yeah really I love sitting there with a cup of coffee and you know in front of my laptop in my pajamas my dressing gown happy out that's I suppose that's definitely my favorite room of the house and how do you relax in the evening so at the moment during lockdown I've never watched so much television in my life so I'm watching (laughs) (laughs) what are you watching so do you know what we're watching at the moment myself and my daughter and uh, like people at my age will be horrified when I say this that I've never watched Grey's Anatomy can you believe it um so wow. honestly yeah no i i'm i'm at the time when Grey's anatomy came out we didn't have uh you know the record function on sky and be able to watch back stuff so i was the world's worst i've never been good at watching stuff um you know back in the day when we had to watch something on a monday evening at eight o'clock or whatever day it was i would never remember to watch something I'm, i've been very poor at that so i've never followed soaps i've never followed anything like that because i can never remember to tune in at the right time so for me the the, the way we have you know netflix now and tv that you can record and watch in your own time suits me perfectly because then i can just sit down when it suits me so that's why you know i never got into Grey's anatomy at the time because i could never remember to watch it and then i'd have missed yeah. so much i wouldn't know what's going on so we're on season we're nearly finished season two now. So Good myself, woman. Yeah, myself and my daughter are watching it and I have to say I'm loving it, really loving it. Yeah, it's good. They, we're, I'm totally obsessed with Netflix. So, you know, I think now is the perfect time if you can to catch up on all those things you've always wanted to do. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's like a mixed blessing, really, for us all at the Yeah. Moment. So that's what I'm doing with my daughter. So we take turns. So every second night then. So I watch that with her. And then with my son, then we've uh, just signed up to Disney+. Plus. So I'm, I think half the country has signed up Disney Plus at this point. <laughs> so with my son, then I'm watching stuff on that with him. So we were watching like old movies like, uh, what did we watch the other night? Flubber. Uh, Robin Williams is in it. So, you know, really good kind of feel good Disney movies. And yeah, it's really good. We're really enjoying it. And tell me, Vicky, about you. Are you a super organized person at home? Are you very neat and tidy? Or tell me about you in that way. What do you like? Yeah, I am. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I mean, I probably would have been a touch OCD, I'd say, before I had children. I, you know, there were, like having children was the best thing that happened to me from that point of view, because I think there would have been nothing out of place in my house before I had children. Everything had to be tidy and put away and, you know, in a certain way. Whereas, you know, when kids come along, you know, life doesn't <laughs> operate like that with children. You know, you, you, you just have to give in at some stage. So I did. I had to just kind of let things go. 
but I'd be very um t- I'm obsessed with washing and that comes from my mother with the laundry and so I'm like I'm always putting on a wash and hanging out a wash and but I find it's something therapeutic about doing the laundry as well I, I enjoy doing it you know hanging it up and there's something about it so uh, you know I'd be obsessed with my laundry um and having tidy surfaces i i hate nothing more than seeing crumbs on the surface yeah me too oh jesus it drives me crazy me too i can't concentrate i can't even work unless everything is just organized it's just the way i am it drives Uh, me nuts well you and me would live well together so early (laughs) (laughs) and tell me what colors uh you like is your home a very kind of a neutral home or do you Color pops in your home. Yeah, it's pretty neutral, but I suppose my, my I'm in the sitting room now doing this podcast, and it, uh, the sitting room is um, I kind of went for a, a sea kind of theme in here, so there's kind of very calming blues and greys. So the the walls, oh, are, I think it's French grey or something, uh, and then you know a nice kind of a, a real kind of a nice rug with cream and uh, it's kind of a teal blue. I think it's kind of tealy blue. Uh, and the the sofa then is a kind of a denim kind of navy blue material. So it's and I have p- pictures up. So I've finally gotten around to do these things as well. So I've hung up pictures. I got these beautiful um, paintings uh, from an artist in Liscannor in County Clare um, of uh, mm-hmm. local beaches. So I just love the sea. So I just decided, you know, when I'm not near the sea, I want to have it at home. So this room yeah. literally has pictures of. Um, I have some that are framed photographs of beaches and kind of a seascape. Yeah. And then I have, uh, you know, paintings. So I, I just, and we brought bits back then from holidays. So I actually brought a beautiful piece of driftwood back with me from New Zealand, probably. What a great idea. You know, bits. And I brought, I brought these beautiful um, clay uh, ceramic sea urchins from New Zealand. I bought them when we were over there. So what I'm Fabulous. trying to do in this room is to bring bits of places that I love back into the room so I can look at them and go, oh yeah, I remember where we got that or, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And so you like all those restful seascapes and uh, blue tones and all very kind yes. of uh, relaxing. Yeah, exactly. I love those tones myself personally as well. And uh, what's your style? What kind of style do you think? How would you describe your own style in the home? In the home? Um, I suppose it would be minimalist, but not minimalist because, you know, I don't like that stark look. I like to have bits, but I wouldn't have too much. Like my best friend, for example, her house She's really good at, uh, like, I love her style. She, the way she picks things and puts things together, but she has lots of stuff. You know, the way she'd have loads of things on shelves and loads of pictures, whereas I like to have a bit, but not too much. So, because um, I like to have everything put away. I don't like to have too much out. You know, that, that goes back to the control freak in me, not to have stuff scattering <laughs> everywhere. But, um, so I suppose minimalist, but, you know, but homely. I like it to look like a home as well, you know, that it's lived in. How do you spend Christmas? I know you mentioned that you were in New Zealand last year, mm. last Christmas. But okay. how would you generally spend Christmas? Okay, so how we generally spend Christmas. So usually um, I am not a huge Christmas fan. I have never been a huge Christmas fan. Um, and I, I remember my mother is absolutely, obs- and I mean obsessed with it. She has all the tacky Christmas stuff and oh, you know, it's <laughs> new stuff every year. So she's just one of those. And I, I remember my mother always thought that, you know, once I had kids that I'd become this huge Christmas, you know, fanatic. And I didn't. Now, I've become better over the years. And actually, I think since I have had cancer and I suppose have had to, you know, accept the possibility that I may not be here, I've actually become 
much better um and i'm really enjoying christmas more now uh but you know i do it for the kids you know and the kids love it my my two kids absolutely adore christmas so you know we usually put the christmas tree up kind of early on maybe usually the second week in december and we all do it together so that's one thing we you know it's something we've always done at home as well i suppose it's traditions you learn from your parents isn't it so we put on the tacky christmas cds and we put up the christmas tree together um and that's something that i have to be very careful that i kind of don't uh, take over because you know again my whole OCD instinct starts to come out and I'm going oh you know you can't put that there so I actually just let the kids do it I might kind of go back and fix it afterwards and put a few you know where they have maybe 10 decorations on one side but when we're doing it I leave them at it you know I'll do a bit but I let them do it and then I might fix it later when they're gone um just to spread things out more evenly but yeah that's something we do together and then um you know I start Christmas shopping kind of around October, November, I start picking things. Oh, you're clever. Yeah, I do. I'm quite. I'm, I would be definitely organised that way. Um, I'd, I'd make sure I have kind of, especially all the, the kids' presents. You know, the, the, in case anything goes. So I'd be organised that way, and I have friends that I can use, um, attics and all of that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of we we start out, and then we always every Christmas for the last probably four or five years. Now last year we didn't do it because we were going away, but we always uh, and I usually organise it um, that we go and see Santa. So we visit Santa, but we go away somewhere uh, as a family. So my mother and father always come, and my brothers and my sister. So we uh, we the year before. Um, we went to New Zealand, we went to Burr Castle to see Santa and we stayed in the hotel and we had, a, you know, we stayed all together as a family and we had a meal and we used the swimming pool and it's just lovely for all the family to catch up. So, yeah, you know, we do, we do nice mm. things and, and that's kind of the way we celebrate Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, obviously the kids open their presents at home and we stay here for two or three days so they can play with their friends and, and see their own friends. And then we head down to Kilkenny for maybe another three or four days and they open all their presents down there. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's lovely. Good, happy memories. Yeah, absolutely. And can I ask you about social media? I believe you're you're a real Twitter head. You love Twitter. Oh, I love Twitter. Yeah, love it. And do you prefer Twitter to Instagram or Facebook? I do. Yeah, I much prefer to. I'm not. Um, I'm not. I suppose with Instagram, I, I look at it and I'm on it, obviously. But and I'll p- post an odd photo up every now and then. But I'm not one of those people that does, you know, selfie videos. And I'm just not into it. I prefer to. I suppose it comes from, you know, I, I prefer to use words. I prefer to talk i prefer to you know write stuff so it's instant yeah yeah. and i think with instagram it's more about the visual like my sister loves instagram she's a hairdresser so obviously she's always on instagram and putting up photos of her you know styles that she's done or she'll put up videos of herself talking about you know different things about hair whereas i find talking to a camera um i just find that very strange you know uh it's just not me I prefer it's to type. You. Yeah, yeah. So no, I definitely mm-hmm. prefer. That's why I like Twitter more. I think it's because I like reading and I like uh, writing and reading words. And do you find that a lot of people will come to you for advice, Vicky, on on their own circumstances, perhaps relating to cervical cancer? Yes, I do. I get an awful lot of um, messages actually. Uh, still, even now, um, so. I kind of had to make a conscious decision fairly, I would say early on. It took me a long time. For a long time, I was relying to everything um, that came in uh, to my phone. Uh, but I, I had to pull back a bit because it was. I found it very hard. Um, so now I just literally, one day a week, I look at um, new messages that come in um, and filter through them. Now, a lot of messages I get are just from people just saying thank you, they've read my book, or you know, just reaching out to say 
you know, they admire me for what I've done and, and they're lovely and I try and get back to some of them. But to be honest, I prioritize the messages I get from people who um, are emailing me or messaging me usually about a, a family member who has been given no hope um, and they're asking about different options and, you know, how do they go about getting a second opinion or how do they go about, you know, is there, do, do I know of any other uh, clinical trials that maybe they could try? So those ones take time, you know, as well, because if I have to go off and research stuff um, and at the end of the day, I have to be very careful, you know, I'm not a medical professional. Um, I can only kind of not necessarily give them advice, give them information Um but I suppose, you know, I have to be careful that, I, I, you know, people don't take it as medical advice and come back and say, well, you know, Vicky Phelan told me that I should do this. Do you know what I mean? So I always yeah. kind of word the response. And in fairness, I've never had an issue. People understand that, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I take responsibility very seriously because I feel that people trust me. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's simple questions, you know, it's just about how to get a referral to another doctor that people don't even know how to do that. So, you know, I, I, I would always reply to those ones because I think people need to, need to know what they need to do and um, not mm-hmm. feel guilty about it either, because, you know, sometimes there's an awful lot of pressure put on people, um, uh, you know, about getting another opinion from another doctor. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting another opinion. It's like, you know, we, we, I often use the, the car insurance one, Everybody gets three quotes when they renew their insurance. Oh, for sure. You know, absolutely. So why 100%. wouldn't you do it with your health? What's the difference? Your health is more important. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking for another opinion if you're either not clicking with the doctor you have or if you're not entirely you know, sure that what he's telling you or she's telling you is what you want to hear. You know, I mean, if you go to another doctor and you get told the same thing, well, then fair enough, you know. Um, but I do think it's very important that you're comfortable with the doctor you're with, that you have a relationship with them where you feel that you can ask questions, you know. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And and Vicky, what advice would you give to your younger self looking back over all of the experiences that you've had in your life? Oh, well, uh, looking back at my own, to have more confidence in myself, to believe in myself more. I think, you know, when I look back at me when I was, you know, whatever, Amelia's age or even maybe a bit older, I never believed in myself enough. I always would have knocked myself down and thought that I, you know, wasn't good enough, um, that there was somebody that was always better than me. Um, even though, you know, I was always well capable, I was always a good student, um, a very, you know, good academically. But, you know, even in a class, if we were asked a question, you know, in tutorial in college, I, you know, often I wouldn't speak up because I wouldn't trust my own voice. So that's it, I suppose. Trust your own, my own voice more that, you know, now I know when I started speaking out that, um, you know, what, what I was saying you know, was valid and people wanted to hear it. So, you know, I do trust my own voice now and I have no issue with using it. But, you know, I wish I trusted myself more when I was growing up. Wow, that's that's incredible. And would you describe yourself as a spiritual person, Vicky? Um, I suppose so. I'm not religious. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe. Totally separate to religion. Yeah, yeah. No, but I suppose I do believe that there is something out there. Um, like for example, at the time of my car crash, uh, I, I was clinically dead for, I think 40 seconds or something. They had to, you know, use the defibrillators and get me back. But I remember, uh, my dad told me this because I have no recollection of it, obviously, because I was in a coma for a week. They had me in an induced coma for nine days or something because I was, um, yeah. I had so much damage and in so much pain and whatever. They, they, they couldn't wake me up until I, you know, that settled down because I wouldn't have been able to deal with it. Um, 
while I was in the induced coma because I was on so many so, so much drugs you know morphine to keep me knocked out you know I was hallucinating so every now and then I'd wake up and I'd start you know literally rambling like my father said and I could be talking about anything you know and wow. sometimes it didn't make sense but he said one day he I woke up and I, I, I had a conversation with him and you know he t- I told him that I saw Nanny so his mother and he, he kind of probed a bit and he said, what do you mean you saw your, 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 your grandmother? And she said, she, she, she came to me and she told me it wasn't my time, that it wasn't my time and I had to go back. And she was very angry. And my grandmother, my father's mother, was the most gentle lady you've ever met. Like she never got angry with anybody. Yeah. And, and he thought that was, he started laughing at the time. And I remember him telling me. And he said, uh, he said, you were, you know, he said, even the way I told it, you know, my guy said, your nanny was angry, dad. She's never angry, you know. And she was, <laughs> you know, and I told him that she gave out to me and told me, you know, no, it's not your time, you know, you have to go back. And I, and it's funny when he said it, I actually could, it, 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 I kind of conjured up the image in my head and I could nearly see her. So I do believe there is something there, you know, and, and I would talk to dead people. I would talk to people, I, you know, like that, my grandmother or Christoph, um, who are dead. I do, you know, and I don't think there's anything crazy about that. So I do believe that there is something in those who have left us, um, that there is definitely a connection there. Uh, and that's what I believe in, I suppose, you know. And what words of hope would you have for anyone, particularly now, Vicky, that are, are you know, suffering um, and, and very scared, obviously, during the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, yeah, it, it will pass. And I think that that is something that I've learned over the last number of years with everything that's happened to me. You know, you go through these awful periods in your life and you think you'll never get over them and you think life will never be better. You know, but I've lived through so many of these things that I can, you know, say with certainty, these things will pass, you know, it will pass. All you can do and all I'm doing at the moment is literally taking it one day at a time. I I do not look further than today or tomorrow. You know, I'm not thinking about, you know, three months down the line and whether I'll have a job or whether I'll, you know, have enough money. And I know that they are real issues for people, but you can't start thinking about those issues now because it will just break you. So, you know, live for the moment, one day at a time, try and look at the positives of what's happening at the moment and, you know, the quality time that you have with your children you'll never get that back you know if you have children if not um you know use the time to to do stuff that you um, have put off and to do nice things for yourself but i suppose you know just live in the moment one day at a time and and it will pass you know and you know look at what good can come out of it because there will be good things that come out of this i think as well um, can I ask you just a quick uh, few questions? We're calling this the podcast Quick Fire Questions. Yeah. Okay. So it's just real fast. Really, it's one or the other. Bath or shower? Bath. Text or talk? Talk. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Bedside, left or right? Left. Bra or knickers? Ooh, knickers. <laughs> Cat or dog? Dog. Red or white wine? Oh, red, 100%. Okay. Taxi or walk? Walk. Home or abroad? Oh, God. Abroad, actually. Eat in or take out? Eat in. Kanye or Trump? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, Christ. I think I'd have to pick Kanye. My God, Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vicky, thank you so much for joining us today. Not at all. Thank and you very I, much, Arlene. It was great talking I, to you. I, I wish you all the best and I hope to stay in touch with you. Yeah, do, definitely. Thank you very much. Take care and stay safe. I will, and you too.